Hello, 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 and welcome back to an all-new episode of The Darius Show. On today's episode, we're going to be doing a quicker chat, review, and breakdown of the Netflix series Midnight Mass. This is the newest installment of Mike Flanagan projects that are currently on Netflix. If you're familiar with him, you might have seen The Haunting of Bly Manor and The Haunting of Hill House, I believe it's called. This definitely keeps that Mike Flanagan tone, but I think it has a little bit more to bring to the table than either of those previous series. So I'm excited to break it down and get right into it with you. So without further ado, let's roll the intro and get right into it. It's the Darius Show, y'all already know. Drop your booty to the floor, come give me some more. It's the Darius Show. It's the Darius Show. All right, so Midnight Mass on Netflix. This series is packed with a lot of details and like a lot of history. Uh, so I, I'm going to do my best here to not have a super long review that talks about every detail of the series. So here's the overview really quick. It's a, about a young man who returns to his isolated hometown on Crockett Island, hoping to rebuild his life after serving four years in prison for killing someone in a drunk driving a- accident. He arrives at the same time as a mysterious, charismatic young priest who begins to revitalize the town's flagging faith. So that's the general premise that we get into here. Our main character, the series actually opens up to our main character, Riley, uh, kind of waking up from his uh, drunk driving incident, seeing the aftermath of that and being arrested. The first thing that we see him do is kind of turn to God in that moment and immediately start to recite Hail Marys and Our Fathers. Uh, you know, opening the show on a note that's immediately a commentary on how people especially turn to religion in times of strife and in times of great deal of conflict. So it's definitely an interesting way to start off the series. Uh, If it wasn't already clear, this show is all about religion. So uh, most of, you know, the entire series takes place on this one island. It's a very isolated story. And most of the scenes revolve around, at least narratively speaking, their local church and kind of the fanatics that serve that church and how that kind of spirals out of control. What I really like about the first half of this series, there's definitely this series definitely feels like it's split into two halves. There is the introduction half where you're setting up all the domino pieces. You're you're constructing that that mystery that's really at play here. And then the second half of the series is just all the dominoes falling down, everything hitting the fan, so to speak. But I really I really enjoyed the first half of the season more than I did the second half. I don't hate the direction that the second half took. I just feel like the 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 tone and the tension that they're able to draw out in the first half and a lot of the questions that they're able to raise really had a strong impact on me. The social commentary on religion in our current society and what it's like when that's taken to the extremes, not only that, but what it's like, you know, rationalizing it. There's the show does a lot to criticize Christianity, particularly Catholicism, but it also does a lot of work to show kind of the positive sides of that. And for that reason, this was kind of the perfect show for me to kind of wrestle with at this time in my life. As if you've listened to some of my previous episodes, I kind of share my own personal religious journey and how I feel about that, the contradictory nature to how I was brought up to how I feel currently. And for anyone who might be having a similar journey, this show is the perfect show uh, to dive into, particularly if you are from a Christian and or a Catholic background. This show will hit different for sure. 
What this series is really able to do, particularly in its first half, is blend this tone of like horror and religion so well together. Certainly not the first project to do this. Uh, what comes to mind is the right and countless other uh, possession and you know horrific stories take place within a religious context that's certainly been done before. This one is so effective because it takes it feels like a a well thought out journey that it takes you on throughout the series. And it does not shy away from the harder uh, conversations about religion. This series even uses many direct scripture uh, passages from the Bible to justify some of the darker moments that happen here. And in doing so, it is shining such a critical light on religion in a way, um, but it also shines a mirror on our society in a way. I don't know. I might be reaching a little bit too much here, but I, I feel like this show does a really good job at presenting those themes in a palatable context. What I appreciate about the series is that they don't do they don't present these religious themes lightly. They even go through the effort of showing us entire sermons from each mass that the new priest in town is delivering. You don't just get small snippets. You are getting full on sermons, you know, 10, 15 minute homily monologues from this guy who's depicting it. Uh, the actor who actually plays the priest in this series is, in my opinion, is doing the best job out of anybody in the entire series. I'm looking for his name really quick because I cannot remember. Zach Guilford. I feel like this series would not do as well without his handling of this priest character. He, Even though he's not our character whom we have most of our point of view with, he is easily doing the most heavy lifting in this series. He is the reason why anything is happening. He acts as the antagonist while also being a protagonist in a lot of ways. So uh, narratively, you know, writing-wise, this, this actor, Zach Guilford, needs to do a lot of heavy lifting, and he needs to knock it out of the park in order for the rest of it to work, and he does just that. He is setting the standard for this show. He's, he's running so everybody else can walk, you know. Everyone else does a great job in the series as well, but it's because he sets the stage so well with his charisma, with his, his ability to exist in the vague nuance of speech that doesn't let you know what kind of footing this character is on, uh, that this series is able to soar for sure. You know, as I mentioned, this series opens to the point of view of a character named Riley. He has just gone through a terrible life experience, killing somebody in a drinking and driving incident and spending years in prison and returning to the place that he had always just dreaming getting out of. Interesting setup for a character. That being said, his character fell a little flat for me. I know that he's the character that we're supposed to project onto. It's through his point of view that we're being introduced to everything in the series. But there's something about him that feels just so plain and regular, at least until you get kind of towards the middle half of the season. And those first three episodes, his character has no life to him, no energy. And he does a fine enough job overall, but he just doesn't bring it as much as you want one of your lead characters to bring it, in my opinion. That does change when we get to, I think it's episode four, when he's having a conversation with his significant other love interest within the series and she is very religious and he is not and they're both you know they're going back and forth on what they think happens after you die a simple question to encompass the overall concept of what's going on here do you believe in god etc it's a small question but has very large implications they each go back and forth delivering on what they believe is happening and 
it this is one of the strongest moments in the entire series. It has nothing to do with the overall conflict that they face later. It's just a shining moment. Um, you know, it's really a mo- lightning in a bottle moment where it kind of exists within a vacuum outside of the context of the rest of the narrative. But his answer that he delivers is such a powerful one. It's also one that I have not heard before and one that I find myself hoping to be true. His answer to the question, what do you think happens after we die, is, you know, basically a big shot of of DMT. That's something we know scientifically that your body elicits that in the moment of death, but that you basically have this beautiful dream, a big trip out for, you know, some vague amount of time at the end of your life. He refers to it as a curtain call. And in a sense, I feel like this is a good description. I'm probably doing a terrible job describing it. His monologue was 10 minutes. I'm going to attempt to make this a lot quicker. But he he describes a moment where it, it, it would be so trippy, it would be so dreamlike that you wouldn't even be able to grasp it most likely as a concept of afterlife. But the fact that it would be a huge curtain law, a sum of all the good and bad in your life kind of just being thrown up right in front of you in a in a way that feels like a dream, that feels spectacular, I think that sounds like a very fine answer as to what happens after you die. Uh, to get on a trippy note, I feel like that's almost not what, I feel like Christians almost can agree with that in a way where if your expectation is largely heaven or hell, that will be a large sum of your experiences on planet Earth, so that has to be embedded into what you would see in that final moment. I don't know. I know that's a lot, but I really felt that just as a super powerful scene and definitely the best that that character had to offer in the series. As I mentioned, this entire series does take place on one island, so it is that isolated type of storytelling. And what I really want to give this series credit for is is developing a world that I, that feels really lived in. I truly believe that this, until we get to the events in the last few episodes, which of course we are going to discuss when everything hits the fan, prior to that I really feel like this is a community of people that actually live there they feel the relationships between them uh, the type of dialogue that comes across when you see them I actually believe that this is a small community that exists I I just think that's impressive not everyone's doing the most amazing job acting but the way that they portray their little community for some reason just feels really believable they also give you a lot of upfront information about things that have happened in the past of this community um there's a lot of reference for example there's a character who got shot and paralyzed by another character that lives within the community and you know that event largely colors a lot of the relationships that exist in that community um you know we hear about people that left town and then came back or had divorces or previous marriages whatever the case is um even though we don't get flashbacks at all to any of those things that happened in the back in the background information they do a good job of just saying it plainly and all the characters existing in a world where those events have happened that I'm it's in this instance, it's they don't have to show they can just tell and it actually works really well. I feel like most series would have a strong temptation to give us flashback sequences to all these events in each of these characters lives to kind of flesh those characters out a little bit. And I'm not sure if this series would have benefited or not with without that, but my impression walking away from it is that they didn't need those flashbacks, which is very impressive with the way they've constructed their characters, that you don't need actual flashbacks to give context or believe that these events happen to the characters. You know how it informs those characters without having seen that happen yourself. So yeah, good job on that front. 
One thing I was super disappointed in was that the younger characters didn't have more to do in the series. Uh, right after, in episode one, the second scene that we see, the first scene that we see on the actual island, picks up from the point of view of our younger characters that are all I have somewhere vaguely between 14 and 17 years old. Um, they set them up as if they're going to be, these characters are going to be a big plot focus for us, that we're going to you know touch down with these characters running around town together, having their own sense of drama and relationships and storylines going on but and i was really excited for that the dynamics they set up are really good we've got the two guy best friends who serve as altar boys and the introduction to the new muslim friend who's out who's not from this community one kid says hey just give him a chance and the other one seems to be at least a little bit prejudiced towards him and those are dynamics that i would have liked to have seen played out through this show with those characters that they set up they also have the fourth kid member who is the girl who is paralyzed uh, and in the wheelchair at the beginning of the series, especially in after episode two where the miracle at church happens where she can actually start walking again. Uh, after that happens, it feels like there's so much more room for these characters to have big plots. You know, Maybe they struggle with losing their virginity. Maybe one of them has homosexual feelings and we see them have to confront that within the church, but we don't get anything like that. Um, so I feel like that was just a missed opportunity. The small scenes that we did get with the kids were powerful, but you really just stopped getting any scenes from the kids' point of view by themselves after episode one. After that, the kids just start being uh, feature points for the adult characters. I also have to highlight Beverly Keen. Her character was the only one who had as much to do as the priest. And at this point, I'll just start calling him Pruitt. If you've made it this far into this review... You should know that we're doing spoilers here, but huh, that that major reveal happens about halfway through that the pre the newcomer priest who's been helping the community out is actually their former priest, Senior Pruitt, who has managed to defy death and uh, regress in his age into his uh, former prime somewhere in his mid 30s, most likely. But Beverly Keen is the first person who's in on the secret. And she actually poses as much of an antagonist as anybody else does in the series. Her role is to be the most fierce, the most fierce follower of Christ. And her loyalty is directly to the church above anything else. And if she hears a verse that she can justify to use as for killing or for anything, as long as she thinks that her action is justified when, within the scripture that she is consuming, she is willing to do it which makes her a very chaotic character, someone whose line is only drawn by their personal interpretation of the Bible. Very scary. In, in a lot of ways, that can be the most scary threat possible. They are willing to do almost anything, and they have the moral defense of righteousness behind them. That even furthers the line of what they are willing to cross, which is a, just a very interesting setup for a character. She, in a lot of ways, has displays so much more power than anybody else does in this community even though she's never the ones really performing she's not the one performing the miracle or anything like that but at moments when senior when priest Pruitt has to be out of commission for even any amount of time or if he's just not present she takes the leadership role in the community she absolutely is in charge of everybody around and it shows she basically doesn't back down from a fight with anyone. She will out-talk you. She will push you into a corner where she is the correct one in that scenario. 
Of course, she only gets even more terrifying once the transition happens and everyone basically turns into zombie, zombie demons, spawn of Satan's, whatever you want to call them. Um, she just becomes even more of a crazy antagonistic threat and honestly scares me shitless. Okay, so let's talk about that big turn that happens when it goes from being a contained story about religion and morality to turning into a supernatural story that's basically like a zombie nightmare. So turns out that Priest Pruitt is actually in cohorts with uh, what he assumes to be an angel. Uh, I'm assuming in the context of their world that it's actually a demon and or Satan uh, tricking him as they have clearly displayed that there is supernatural uh, otherness happening in this world. Um, he is actually able to kind of trick the church and, and slowly manipulate the church into being at a point where uh, about 90% of them willingly consume uh, this blood that <laughs> the basically the blood of Christ is what they're referring to it as, but it's essentially a fucked up poison that's going to turn you into a monster. And they all die and are each resurrected into zombies that will now live forever, granted that they stay away from the sun. They also all have a desire to continue to consume human blood that has not been infected yet, kind of doing the work of the Lord, spreading his good word, spreading the infection that is this miracle, I guess, is the context they set up. Obviously, this is very out there. You know, as far as sci-fi or, you know, supernatural type content, the bait and switch that happens in the series is actually really crazy. I mean, throughout the series, you're seeing smaller moments that are implying something is going on here. But at the time, you thought it might just be chalked up to just uh, God's work at hand, perhaps. But they they take that and they really push the envelope of what uh, you're willing to believe has happened in this world that they set up, this very tame world. Is it too much? I'm not sure. I think that I, I don't hate the direction that it took. I, I said that a little bit earlier. I, I don't think that they pushed the envelope over the line, but they certainly walk right up to that line and dance with flirt. They really flirt with going over it. Um, I just, it, it, it felt like whiplash a little bit, seeing them really take on this, this tone, you know, full on seeing this demon type character with wings that's flying around, <coughs> wreaking havoc all over the place. I just really didn't expect that coming into the first few episodes. I thought it was going to be a much more contained story. That being said, I was still able to have a lot of fun with it. And because their characters were so well established, seeing them navigate this world pre and post being, you know, turned into a monster, sticking with those characters points of view, even once they have was definitely an interesting ride to go on with them. It was definitely very thought provoking. I do also feel like this scene, it must be episode five or six, but it's the episode where Riley essentially is the first one in this church to turn into one of these monsters. And he's essentially telling his entire story to his love interest in hopes that she will, with the information of seeing what happens to him as he sacrifices himself in the sun, she'll be able to use that information to better make decisions moving forward to hopefully get out of the situation that they are all in. Um, that was a powerful moment, you know, him taking her out in the water, us not being sure if is he evil now? Is he going to attack her? What's going to happen out here? Um, I was on the edge of my seat. I didn't see coming what happened. I didn't I didn't expect our, our titular character to be sacrificed kind of midway through the run of the series. And one critique I do have for that is the episode prior to that ended on a cliffhanger that strongly implied that he was going to die. 
you know, that's certainly the the feeling we walk away with. And it's not until at least 20 minutes into the next episode that we see that he is alive. Now, in that episode, he sacrifices himself. So in two episodes, we've drug we've drug out this plot of is Riley going to be dead now in a you know, once, you know, contextually later on that it's because he got resurrected, that he didn't die right then and there. It kind of makes sense. But I just don't like it. I don't enjoy it when a series does something like this. It's something I've certainly seen happen before. I think this character is dead. Oh, no, twist, they're still alive, but then they die immediately after anyways. That's always just very unsatisfying to me. I mourn the character, and then when they truly die, it has less of an impact on me. So I feel like that is in the mix here. That being said, his sacrifice did work, and the choice to kill off your main character, the character who, if you read the overview, it's from this character's perspective. If you watch episode one, you are projecting yourself through this character, experiencing this world through his eyes. It's a very bold choice to kill him off while still having at least two episodes, I think three more to play out through. So super interesting decision, and I actually think that it works overall. Just the way that they handled, uh, you know, stringing his death through two episodes was just a little bit mishandled. And speaking of mishandling, uh, I do think that, you know, I was singing the praises of the actor who brought the Pruitt Priest character to life. I think he did a phenomenal job through most of the episodes, every episode until the last episode. I felt like they really dropped the ball with that character. He, he does everything he set out to. He essentially is completely successful with what his plan has been this entire time. He doesn't skip a beat, and he gets away with everything. Once shit all hits the fan, we get this moment where he's reflecting with his, um, his former love, the person he had a baby with, without going into full details of all these characters. He's reflecting with her, and he a little quickly um, comes to his senses and kind of starts to experience regret, it seems. Um, after he's done it all, I don't, I don't necessarily dislike that his character would have had a full circle moment. However, I feel like it's a little, it wasn't earned. I, the, his turnaround towards the very end wasn't earned and he didn't even take action after that. He just kind of stood there and embraced the son killing him off, not even in a sacrificial way, more like in a, I'm killing myself way to have done all this. Uh, he did turn a little bit. But I don't know that it seemed like he had any regret for the people in his town, any regret for the way that he mishandled their lives. And it just felt very unsatisfying. He was this big character, so much buildup, so much tensions, and it all crescendos in this glorious way. And then him as a character really fizzles out. He's, He's not even very prominently featured in that final episode, especially not in the final half. The, the point of view switches strongly to the survivor's point of view. And that's where the narrative really becomes a zombie movie all of a sudden. You know, we have our remainder characters who, um, who have the moral high ground, I guess you could say, who chose not to consume the blood and therefore are still humans. Uh, you're seeing them kind of dwindle in numbers as they are fighting to survive, fighting to to find some way to stop this from spreading past the island, essentially. They're fighting for the world at this point. But but this this type of storytelling, it feels just like a, a zombie movie, which I don't hate. I don't think that they do it terribly wh- bad, poorly. Um, however, it just feels like too much of a tonal shift from what the series was. Basically, it ends with them turning the entire island on fire while two of the kids are able to make it away safely, implying that they'll be able to hopefully spread this message or do something more positive about it in the future. 
kind of a bleak ending, kind of a lame ending that everything just kind of fizzles out and all the characters we've come to grown in love kind of just die. Uh, the only person who manages to survive all of this, I think the sheriff is still alive, technically, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know if he ends up dying in the in the ensuing fires that happen on the island. But then it's just two of our characters who, uh, two of our young characters, as I mentioned before, received a little to no character development whatsoever throughout the series. So seeing them survive, knowing that they go on to have some kind of future, doesn't really have a big impact overall. So... I don't know. Overall, it's a great ride that you get to go on. You you get crazy twists and turns, and I don't see so many of them coming. There's also some amazing moments from actors on display here. That's kind. Of, it kind of follows the same curse of his Mike Flanagan's previous projects, which are Haunting of Hill House and Haunting of Blind Manor. These narratives are always so interesting, so enthralling. The mystery they set up is so strong that I'm, I'm so there for the ride. I'm binging these episodes. And then when we get towards the finale, things really start to kind of lose focus. And the answers that they have, the big answers to the big questions they set up are just a little, they, they, you're left a little unsatisfied. I will say that I do think Midnight Mass accomplishes what it sets out to do much more effective than any of those series do prior to it. I think that Mike Flanagan is showing a clear slope of progression in the quality of material that he releases he has another series coming out soon called the midnight club i think it's interesting that his first two series are both haunting of haunting of and now his next two are midnight mass and midnight club so i'm definitely interesting to see i'm definitely interested to see where he goes with this new series and he's definitely done a good enough job here that i am definitely going to give the next one a shot um so yeah, uh, overall, Midnight Mass is a very entertaining watch. I would recommend it to anyone. It's The finale is not the best part of the series. I really think it's the first five episodes that are just fantastic. And, and even though it doesn't quite stick the landing at the end, overall, there's still enough great things happening here that it's well worth your time. So yeah, Midnight Mass, really enjoyed watching it. Um, I'm definitely going to need to watch something a little bit more light after this as a palate cleanser before I get into anything more dark, but uh, yeah. All right, that's just about going to bring my conversation to a close here. Uh, Midnight Mass on Netflix, Mike Flanagan. What do you think about it? Let me know. Hit me up on my email. That's at thedshowpod at gmail.com, thedshowpod at gmail.com. I never get emails there. So come on, give me something to give me some feedback. I want to hear I want to hear from you guys. You can also hit me up on Instagram at the Darius Show, TikTok by the same name. Uh, thank you for listening this far. And again, I really encourage you to give me any feedback. Let me know what you want me to watch. I've got a few more episodes coming down the bottle in the next couple couple of weeks here. Some cool shows I'm I'm really excited to talk about. Uh that I, I'll give a little teaser. Kenobi should be coming up soon. But yeah. Uh, that's going to be it for today. So thank you so much for listening if you made it this far. And remember, I love you.